the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance show. In this episode, I talk to Dr. David Rubens, a recognized authority on the strategic management of complex events, particularly within a multi-agency crisis management framework. We talk about risk in the world, personal threat management, martial arts, and how to achieve success through self-belief. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. So yeah, David, here's, here's my first question. You know, this is the question I ask everybody because I think it's a really good starting point. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? A journey. It means a journey. Um, I've been very lucky because um, I've, I've spent my life around good people. I mean, people who've been teachers, genuine teachers. And I've had the opportunity not just to... Um, be around them, but to spend years with them. You know, I've spent years within those environments. And within those environments, whether it's the military or whether it's a whether it's a dojo or whether it's a monastery or whether it's a university, the fundament, fundamental underlying message is you have a choice to decide who you wish to become. You know, you, you can create the person. A dojo and a monastery in the military and the university is about creating the person you wish to become within a very structured framework. So when I thought about, about self-reliance, it is very, very much about a learning journey. There are some people who may be blessed and have that. I don't. I certainly, I was, I was, I'm not somebody who has it, and I certainly wasn't somebody who had it. So I think it's very much about a process. It's also about self, self-realization, self-actualization, self-awareness. Um, one, of the, one of the things about an academic and a martial artist and a practitioner, all three of which I am, is that you 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 question yourself? You know you you you. It's a conscious journey. Many people can live their lives without consciously questioning themselves ever, and yet within all three of those environments, it is a question that's at the heart of it. That is what you're there to do: is to question yourself. Um, and you know that can that can also go over to the dark side. We know that and there's there's various issues associated with that. Um, but for for me, I mean, you know, the question that you ask is, what does that mean to me? It means about a a a, a realized self-aware journey of actualization yeah i love that and you know added to that like sometimes when i ask that question people's perception is oh when you're talking about self-reliance i mean are we really just talking about somebody who's self-obsessed and narcissistic and my argument to that oftentimes is well here's the thing and it it speaks to what you just said is that self-reliance is about understanding yourself it's about that internal journey and when you fully comprehend yourself, both your strengths and your weaknesses, I think you become more valuable to other people. I, I think it's to, to a certain extent because you become more available to other people. Um, I, was, I, was, I was listening to a Tai Chi teacher. Um, I can't remember his name, but just one of, one of these YouTube things that said something really interesting. He says, 
The fundamental thing you have to understand about humans, we talk about relationships, the fundamental thing you have to understand about humans is we are the only creatures on this planet that when we meet another creature, we give our vulnerable side. We give our soft, our soft side is open. Every other creature is protected. You know, they've got the spines, they've got whatever it might be. And when we meet people, we are open. We have our vulnerable side. And so we're not aware of it, but there is micro, micro protections, you know, and psych, you know, every, every psychological thing we've ever had is in there. So I think that by having that sort of that, and again, you can use the word confidence or being centered, being grounded, just allows you to, to sort of live more freely in the, in the world and to be open to the world. And because you can, you're open to the world, then you have, you create the opportunities for those connections to happen. Yeah. So building off that, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this idea around personal threat management. You know, what should a person do to keep themselves safe? And I thought what I wanted to start with asking your opinion on this, I'm not sure if you are familiar with uh, Steven Pinker's work. And he had written this book, you know, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. And his thesis is that violence in the world has declined both in the long run and the short run. I wanted to ask, what is your thoughts on this? And how do you view the modern world with respect to risk and threats? It's, that's a good question. I, I love that. Um, I was in, um, I, I've been doing quite a lot of work in Ukraine, um, right from the beginning at high levels within, within the government. And I've been invited over a few, a couple of times. But I was in Ukraine um, in, the, in the middle of the war um, in, uh, in July last year, June last year. And I went to a coffee shop and the person looked up to me and said, yes, sir. And, in a, in a, you know, in English, said, hi, how are you doing? Very comfortable, you know. And I said to the guy who was with me afterwards, the guy who was looking after me, one of the government guys, I said, do people know that I'm not Ukrainian? I mean, you know, I walk in, they go, he said, absolutely, David. I said, why? He said, I'll tell you why. He says, you and all, you know, Americans especially, but Americans and, and yourself, British, Americans have this belief that they have the right to feel safe and free, you know, and happy. We don't believe that, you know. If we're safe and free and happy, that is a historical blip. You know, and we're waiting for the bad times to come. And the bad times can come at any moment, any moment. But if you look at Americans walking around, they basically believe that the world is a benign place. And they have, you know, the, the pursuit of happiness. It says in their constitution, they have the right to the pursuit of happiness. That makes no sense at all. You have the right to live and pay taxes and suffer and die, my friend. That's what you have the right to do in Eastern Europe. And it says, and, and, and so it's absolutely clear to anybody that, you know, that, that you, you, you know, you walk around open and free and expect and expecting other people to be nice we don't we say if we if I don't we don't know you there's that natural there's that, that natural you know unless we have a connection there's nothing um so 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 I think I think that if you walk around in the in the world like that is, is there more violence is there more violence is there more violence depends where you go my friend it depends where you go you know there's 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 huge parts of the population on this planet um who are living in danger in genuine danger uh you know and that's and that's danger from other people. It's danger from the environment, whatever it might be. Um, there's people not far from where you live and from where I live who are living in fear. They're genuinely living in fear. Um, there is that reality. But I would say, you know, there there is this thing, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's true. You know, this is a, this is the greatest time to be alive on the planet than any time in history. Um, I think we might be going into the decline. I think we might have reached peak goodness. And I think that's, you know, if you're looking, for example, I just read in the paper today, in the UK, rickets and scurvy are coming back. Now, these are Victorian things, and it's because of bad diet. It's because of, you know, we have we have people, children being taken to hospital because of malnutrition. 
um, and certainly old people also. I think that in terms of the wider perspective, I think we've, we've passed peak goodness. I think we're into global decline. And is the world a benign and safe place? It is for you and me, but it's not for a lot of other people. You know, I mean, I've been watching. I've been watching um, the Wire. You know about about Baltimore. That's a tough place. I mean, that you know that that's that, that's basically that can be Lagos or Nicaragua. You know, and it's it's you know it's basically you know an hour out of Washington. You know, and, and there you go. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, I'm just thinking of multiple things there while you were saying that. Well, one thing is I'm originally from South Africa. So, I, I mean, I, I live on the Isle of Man now, but my experience where I am right now is vastly different to the experience that I came from. And one of the things that I've noticed a lot, like especially you were talking about Americans and just people who believe that they should be safe, is this reluctance to want to change behavior, especially when they find themselves in parts of the world that are unsafe. Um, a good example of that, and I'm not going to mention where, but you know, just recently I worked with a group of, of young people, all of them cabin crew members traveling around the world, going to places that you would expect typically would be safe. But when I spend the morning with them and I'm asking them about what we call story time, you know, tell me what's happening, especially out of station, I can tell you that there has been a dramatic increase in what I would consider very, very unsafe situations. And, you know, maybe for, for luck that they've managed to scathe through it, it's just a matter of time before the shit hits the fan. That's the way that I'm looking at it, you know? And so from my perspective is, I don't think the world has got safer overall. And I'm agreeing with you that I think if it ever was, we're on the downward slope right now. Listen, I've, I've been a traveler all my life. I spent 15 years, literally, I didn't come back to the UK. I left when I was 17, when I was 32. So let's spend 15 years out. And then, you know, since I've been working, I've, I've, I'm a traveler. And there's only one place in the world I don't like, and that's Joburg. I don't like Joburg. I, I just don't like it. I, I actually I dislike I, I don't want to go there I just feel unsafe the whole time I'm there and I spent two years in Lagos and I felt I had no problems in Lagos whatsoever you know I used to walk around at one o'clock in the morning looking for a bar to watch the football no problems at all but Joburg I do not like Joburg I mean there's something about that place um so but it's interesting about about people's um sense of safety I, I spent five years in Japan and in Japan for various historical and cultural reasons there is no sense of personal danger whatsoever at all at all, you know, you can go up to somebody at one o'clock in the morning, grab their hand, and they go, "Who are you?" You know, but there's no feeling of you know, it's not appropriate, but it's not dangerous. And so, back in the early nineties, when I was doing some stuff around self protection and self defense for women, and you know, in universities and stuff, you know, we had Japanese students coming over, and two young Japanese girls would go to a bar, and somebody said, "Do you want to come to my flat?" And I say, "Yes," <laughs> you know, and you go, you've got to be careful. You know, this, you know, you're you're you know, you're not in Kansas and you're not in Tokyo. Um, but I, but I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I think everybody everybody builds their own their own defense mechanism and their own you know their own strategies and capabilities mm. around that. So, you know, taking that into account, like, what would you, you know, if you think about your view, what is your perspective when we talk about personal threat management, and why would you say that it's important? I think because I think what it is is it's it's not about who what you do. Threat management is about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about how you live. You know, it's not I do this and I do that. It's who am I? How do I live it? I'm sure you, I'm sure you recognize this. Um, on, on, on Sunday afternoon, sometimes I go shopping with my wife at the shopping center. You know, 
and this is being recorded, so I'll say for the record, I love going to the shopping centre on Sundays with my life. It gives me great pleasure, but that's official. Right. Um, so I think nobody can deny it. Um, I, hope, I, I hope there's no sort of an expert in reading body language, but anyway. Um, but, you know, but I'll be, I'll be going with my wife and she'll look at me. We've been married for 30, over 30 years. And she gives me one of those looks that wives give their husbands. And she says, she looks at me and she goes, stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. I say, what? She says, you're looking. Of course I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. That's what I do. I look. And I'm seeing stuff she doesn't see. You know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing everywhere. A lot that she doesn't see. And she's completely unaware of that. But she sees other stuff. She sees, you know, two for one offers on the school on, on, on the kids' clothes and and you know, holidays next year, and okay, 20% off a Hoover, which to my fa our family is much more valuable than what I'm looking at, you know, in terms of you know the benefit it brings us, much more valuable. But what it happens is is that should be part of your natural radar. It's radar. You can't live adrenaline, you can't live adrenaline, you can't live ready. So one of the, you know, I spent many years doing close protection. I was, I did close protection all over the world. I was teaching teams all over the world. And one of the things we taught the teams was you look with your eye, but you observe with your mind. You, you observe with your being. And if you look and look and look, you will miss that bit because you won't expect it. That's not what you're looking for. But if you observe and if you're open, you spot what you need to spot. And what happens is, is we are, our brain spots everything, absolutely everything, everything. The question is, is it important to us? Is it important to us? And so if you're on the train and a drunk gets on the train, you go, oh, my God, there's a drunk on the train. I don't know. And then another time a drunk gets on the train, you go, oh, I don't, I don't know. The next time, the third time the drunk gets on the train, your brain says, right, you don't want to know. It doesn't give it to you because you don't want to know. But if you go and you go, you, drunk gets on the train, you go, okay, drunk. Happy drunk, angry drunk, sad drunk. Is he going to cry, shout, or, or, or laugh, one or the other? Beer drunk or vodka drunk, because they're different, my friend. Those are very, very different. Um, is he going back to have a good meal or is he going to sleep out tonight? Um, does he want to have a chat? Is he going to and once you do that, you 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 take away the danger because you just you know, and then often I'm quite happy, I'm quite happy, you know, if I think you're a good guy, I'm quite happy to have a have, have a, a chat with a junk guy, you know. And certainly it stops him disturbing anybody else. And he's probably got a decent story to tell. You know, you sit down and say, you know, most people in the world, you, you sit down next to them and you go, Hey, how are you doing? They'll give you a story, you know. And so what you do is you're you're, you're taking the danger out of it. But what it also allows you to do is to know when you are in danger. I am, I've been doing martial arts for 30, well, 40 years, almost 40 years. Next year is 40 years I've been doing martial arts. And I've been doing close protection and I've been doing self-protection, all that sort of stuff for years. And I'm, I'm, I would never, ever, ever claim to be a fighter, ever. I wouldn't even claim to teach people how to fight. I'm a teacher, but I'm not a fighter. But I'm really good at stopping fights. I've stopped fights all over the world in languages which I don't speak. Groups of people, you know, on beaches and in bars. I can, I, I can stop fights all over the world. And I remember there were three kids outside my dojo back back in the day. And there'd been a little argument and a lady had got out and these three kids, and they were scaring her. And I went and I got involved. And I said, guys, you're, you, know, I, you know, I know something happened, but, you know, look, you're really scaring her. And somebody said to me after, didn't you feel in danger? I said, no, they're nice kids. I knew they were nice kids. If they'd been in danger, you know, I was in a bar in St. Lisa and two guys went at it with machetes and I wasn't going to get involved in that. Let me tell you, you know, that's not my scene. So the reason was because I was, I felt absolutely comfortable that I'm not in danger. And because, because, and, and, and I, maybe one day the universe will prove me wrong. But I think that as you get older and if you think about this stuff, and you do it consciously, just your, your radar gets more sensitive. 
And also, you know, I don't want to go into this Jedi mind trick stuff, but your ability to influence people, you know, I can I can talk so many people down, you know, in, in languages which are not my language. You know, I've done it in French and I don't speak French, you know, and I've been and I've taken a group of guys down, I've brought them down and everybody's happy and shake hands at the end of it. Um, so I, I think it's I think as you get older, you get more experienced and you know, you just basically you get you become an old an old grizzly bear, you know, basically. That's it. You, you, you know, you let the cubs play around and you know they give a little, you know, don't get don't really get, don't really get too excited about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I refer to that as using verbal jujitsu, which you're describing, right? And and I mean, I, I'm not sure how much you you look into this part of 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 our world, and if we talk about the martial arts stuff, right? It's one of my pet peeves, is that there is this kind of rubric of martial arts that goes under the the moniker of uh, reality based self defense, and often where I see this and where it pops up will be on social media, it'll be on YouTube and things like that. And if you look what they demonstrate, what they claim to be, quote unquote, this is what you do if you need to defend yourself. What I notice often is this. First of all, it's always a physical response. It's always far more extreme than it actually needs to be. I mean, to the point of ridiculousness. I mean, I made a post about this recently on Facebook, which got a lot of um, a lot of notice because I think the point is really valid is in the particular video that I watched. It really was about somebody getting pushed, right? Somebody pushed you and then this is how you're going to respond. And the way that this person taught the response was literally to tear this person to pieces. I mean, let's not even talk about the legal ramifications of doing something like that and trying to claim that that was self-defense, which you're just not going to get away with. But this is the extreme perverted stuff that is put out there. And you never see what you just discussed. You never see people say, actually, you know what? How you hold yourself is huge in keeping yourself safe, using verbal jujitsu. Most interactions, you know, with some exceptions, of course, like two people going at each other with machetes, right? But in most instances, you can either A, avoid it because you're situationally aware, or you can talk your way out of the situation. Why do you think that that's not presented? Like, why isn't that the, the mainstay? Is it because, and again, I might be wrong, Real self-defense doesn't actually sell because what these guys are selling is kind of the Jason Bourne Hollywood style of dealing with a problem. It's, it's, I think it's because we just don't deal with the reality as it is. I, I love these films where the guy goes into jail and then three Hispanic guys, you know, gang members jumping and he wins. That's not how it works, my friends. These guys do not get where they are by losing fights, my friend. You know, and if that's your first ever fight, these guys are going to take you apart from every side, you know, every side there is. Um, but so, so, so what it, it is, is, is that the people who are doing it have specific skill sets and are trying to sell their skill sets. Um, I do not believe in self-defense. I don't think there's such a thing as self-defense in that sense, because either you're a fighter or you're not a fighter. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a fighter. I've, I've never claimed to be. And if somebody gets aggressive, genuinely aggressive to me, I go into everything everybody else has. I go, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. I did Krav Maga. I was a Krav Maga instructor. And people just say, well, in that case, you shouldn't be saying this. Okay, that was a long, long time ago. But unless you, you know, if that person's been in a fight three times a week and I've been in a fight once a week, they're just better fighters than I am. That, that's, that's the thing about it. They're better fighters than I am. And so what happens is you get people who, don't talk about that adrenaline, you know, that, that, that fear, that freezing fear that you have. Um, and, and, and it just says, you know, and, and you go into lockdown because of it. But I used to work with some people who were talking about self-defense in, in hospitals. And they were teaching nurses 
self-defense in hospitals. But these guys were SAS guys and they were fourth down black belts and they were sort of judos and there was one guy who was six foot four. And, you know, why do you think that if you're a six foot four guy who can bench press, you know, two, two and a half times half your body weight, um, why do you think you can you teach a five foot five, 45 year old nurse who's never done anything self-defense? That works for you. That does. Why don't you bring in a 55 year old nurse who's been in for 30 years? Bring her in. I mean, listen, we all know a nurse or a nun who's 55 years old, five foot three, and nobody mucks with them ever, you know, ever, you know, and everybody sits down. So I think what happens is, I mean, I do know, I, I want to give a name check here because I'd like people to check him out. A guy called Gavin, Gavin Malholland. I don't know if you know Gavin. Gavin he's a, ju, ju, uh, a Goju teacher, brilliant teacher. But he teaches classical Goju But he puts his guy, well, he, some of his guys, he doesn't put, but some of his guys goes into the cage and they do very, very, very well. But that's what he teaches them to do. He teaches combat karate. And, you know, and they, you have to do it. You have to, you have to, basically go through an SAS selection program and you you have to be physically tough and you have to do your 100 knuckle push-ups and you have to get 100 kicks to the belly and you have to get, get choked out. You can't do that. You know, if you go, if you do it for, for, you know, for an hour and a half once a week, the, I had this argument years ago with somebody who says we do, basically, we always finish off our classes with real combat. You know, we, we say, you're allowed to go for it. You're allowed to do it. I said, okay, how many ambulances do you have waiting outside your classroom? You know, how many times do people, well, People don't go to if people don't go to hospital, it's not real. I'm sorry. That, that's that's not, you know, that that that's not how it works. And I think it's just people, people just they they fool themselves. They fool themselves. But they also fool themselves up there, you know, because I think half these people would like it to happen. I don't. I hate I hate aggression in my life. I don't like aggression with my kids. I don't I don't I just don't like aggression in my house. I don't like aggression around me at all. When I'm sitting in this in, in the restaurant, I don't like people arguing. I don't like aggression around me. Um, and so I live my life in that way. I live my life to not have aggression, basically. And I think there's two sides to this, which is kind of interesting to me, is because people are out there and they're looking for, you know, let's just call it what it, you know, what it typically gets called. You know, they're looking for a self-defense solution. And I agree with you. You know, the way that I describe um, things typically, I say, well, you know, if, you, if you're using self-defense, to me, it's reactionary. It's because you didn't do everything you should have done. You didn't plan appropriately. You weren't situationally aware that suddenly there's a situation and now you have to deal with it. To me, that's self-defense, right? But, you know, people are looking for, you know, people to go to, instructors to teach them how to protect themselves. I think a lot of times most people don't understand or don't realize that the vast majority of people that are teaching, quote unquote, self-defense, actually have never really had to defend themselves, not in a sustained kind of, you know, every week, like you described, right? Like three times a week kind of experience. And so I find it fascinating that all this focuses on the physical. Um, I think that's obviously because it's visual and you can see it. And that's the thing that speaks to people immediately. And the brain goes, oh, you know, five steps to protecting myself. That sounds fantastic, right? Because the brain likes it if you give it a solution like that. But the reality is, and what we're speaking about here is that, Protecting yourself is a lot more nuanced when we talk about personal threat management. And you have to develop those internal skills like you were saying. I mean, you know, it's one thing, quote unquote, saying you're practicing the real thing in the dojo versus actually doing it for real in reality when your life is on the line. Most of us, at least if we have a healthy mindset, don't want to be there in any way, shape or form. And you've got all this, this internal changes taking place. And now suddenly you have to do the stuff that you trained in the dojo against, for the most part, 
and a compliant opponent who told you what they were going to do. And I think, you know, like a lot of times people, because isn't this interesting too, going off on a bit of a tangent, but I find it interesting, is that if you look at the vast majority of these reality-based self-defense schools, they tend to be in the most affluent parts of the world, right? Is you don't see these schools in Soweto, in South Africa, in Johannesburg. You're not going to find them there. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where they did have that. The black dojos in New York in the seventies. You know those guys. You know the black power dojos. Yeah, but those were hardcore dojos, though, right? Those are major hardcore dojos. But, <laughs> but, but that's exactly what you were talking about. But that's yeah. exactly. What, but of course, the dojos were hardcore in those days, anyway. But yeah, they were. Those black power dojos. You know, they, when they said that those those were serious. Yeah, and as a, as an ex karate practitioner myself, right, coming up, you know, I, I started karate when I was six. Um, I knew that there was a very different uh, karate in where I was in my dojo, you know, in the kind of nicer area of, of Johannesburg versus the dojo in Soweto. Who were you training with? Oh, I mean, I trained lots of different people, but what, I. What, what style were you training in? Shotokan. So Dorfman, Ariel Dorfman, and uh, uh, not 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 him specifically, but some of the people that I mean, but, I was six I, years old, right? So that, I, mean, I mean, that, but that was that was again back in the nineteen eighties, nineties. These guys were absolute giants. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, absolutely. South, South Africa had a fantastic, and in judo as well, South Africa had a fantastic martial arts. Just Team. tough guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we, we you know, we have a, a mutual connection. Gabriel Schneider, right? So myself Gav, and yeah. Gav used to train together and, and, and do things. Yeah. So I think that's, there's such a huge discrepancy here between what's been pushed out there and what's reality. And the biggest thing that I find is trying to get people to understand that that's not what it's going to be like, but it's almost as if people don't want to hear that part because maybe it's not as Hollywood, right? It's kind of people hear what they want to hear. Listen, mm. celibacy may be good or may be bad, but there's no point talking to a 19 year old about it. You know, when it's sure. because it, because it, mate, they're not listening to you. And so you, it, it is part, you know, we started about, about you know, the, the start of the conversation about, it's about who you are, you know, and so so it is. It is. It is. It is not something separate to you that you do an hour and a half a day. It's it's about where you are in your own personal life, and and you know we bring our own things out. We bring our own aggressions, our own biases, our own fears, our own psychoses, our own traumas. You know, oh, yeah. we, we, all of those are in there. These these these, these are not. These are neither simple nor simplistic. Yeah, I, I agree, and I actually again I just wrote about this, and I was saying that all the things that you just described also come to bear in that moment when you actually have to protect yourself. Mm. And so depending on how well you've dealt with those, that will also determine the outcome. Because I know, for example, as somebody who's also been practicing martial arts, yeah, close to 40 years, um, you know, the, the, the way that I practiced in my 20s and what I focused on is very different as I close in on 50. And a lot of that has got to do with the internal work that I did. And this is one of the things I try to always bring across is that, which has been lost in the modern martial arts world, is that there is a complete focus on the, the combat athletics, right? The combat side of things, the fighting, the competition, that stuff. But what has always been an, an integral part of the martial arts journey is that self-development. And if you look at all the great teachers in history from Gijin Funakoshi to Morio Shiba and so forth, they always made that point, right? That martial arts is a way of life. And maybe there is something to be said that as you grow older and as you mature, you start to fully realize that. The, the, they, tend to, they, said, they tend to say that when they're in their 70s. When exactly. they're in their 30s, let me tell you, my brother, they yeah, were no, exactly. a different piece of work. You know, they, 
there's, there's this lovely story about the American guy who goes over to China and goes out to his village and meets this fantastic old old Tai Chi guy who's been three years up in the, in the mountains doing Tai Chi one-on-one, blah, blah, goes back to, to, to Detroit. And he says to his teacher, Sensei, would you like to, well, not Sensei because he's Chinese, but you know, Sifu, would you like to come over and and bring your stuff to, to Detroit if I brought you? He said, yeah, come. So he came out and they, and they had this, they had the, the training and there was all these like 70, 80, 100 young people doing Tai Chi. And he walked around and they're looking at him and he's going, that's very nice. And, and the student said, um, so Sifu, what do you think? He said, oh, it's very, very nice. What are they doing? They're doing Tai Chi. See if we say, why? Why are they doing Tai Chi? You should do Tai Chi when you're 70. You know, when I was their age, I was fighting the docks every single day, <laughs> you know, with everybody, everybody you wanted. I spent 20 years fighting. And then when I got to my 40s, my wife said, stop fighting so much. So then I did the internal stuff. And then when I was 70, I started Tai Chi, you know. <laughs> but why are 22-year-olds doing Tai Chi? And it's, you know, and there's, there's a whole there's a whole different understanding. Understand. Now, there's no reasons that 22-year-olds should not do Tai Chi, by the way. But you can't then claim it. It's, if you say this is, you know, Tiger returns to mountain, this is a block. You've got to go down to docks for 20 years and fight, you know, fight, fight on the docks. Then you can say this is this is a block because you know what you're talking about. But if you're just sitting sitting there in the, you know, saying my hand flows over there. Is, and I think certainly in Aikido, a lot of people think that people do Aikido things, it gives them magic powers. They think, you know, if somebody attacks me, I will do this and they'll fall over. That doesn't work like that. It doesn't, doesn't. Now, of course, and even Moria Shiva himself, if you go and read his history, was a little bit of a lunatic, right? When he was much younger, before he kind of, you know, kind of developed his philosophy, which ultimately became Aikido. And and I I guess that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, with that said, though, you know, just because we are in the we're in that kind of that going into the older generation and, you know, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm I'm aware. There we go. Well, the younger people are listening to this, right. right? One of the things I want to, you know, talk to you about then based on what we've been saying is that, yeah, I get it that when you're 20 years old, your mindset and your behavior and where you're at in your life is very different to where we are, right? But there is something to be said, right, by as a coach, as somebody, as a mentor, to ensure that you at least try your best to get them to understand that the practice that they are doing is about becoming better in life or what I refer to as taking on the martial arts of everyday life more skillfully, because I think that's, I think that's valuable, right? Because when I was growing up and where I grew up in the South of Johannesburg and government housing, and I've talked about this so often, I mean, it was very evident to me that the only way to solve any problem was with your fists. And that created so much trauma in my life that that kind of came with me, even into the military where I was, you know, served in close protection and then when I came out and I couldn't find a job because I was kicked out of the house at 17 by my alcoholic mother, I was sleeping on the inner city streets of Johannesburg. I was homeless. It's the reason why I went into the army at 17. And when I came out, nobody would employ me. So I ended up working the door of nightclubs for several years. You know, some of the toughest nightclubs in the world are in Johannesburg, right? That's what I did. And, uh, you know, going back and looking back on that, I wish I had had a coach. I wish I had had a mentor. I, I, it sounds like you had some really great teachers. I didn't have so much, right? I didn't have that. I kind of felt like I was a loose cannon left to my own devices. And so what I try to do now is really impart that knowledge on the younger generation coming up that, yes, okay, you know, I get it. You got the testosterone, you know, you're all 20, you, you're hyped up and everything. But it is important to balance this thing out. And, and I think that's that's incredibly valuable, especially if you start talking about how do you take the lessons from, from the mat, from the dojo into everyday life. 
It's true, but I think it, it is because of who you are. It's not. It's, it's no point living your life one way and telling the kids something else. Um, I think. I think that kids of you know not not kids students are very very sensitive to the way that their teacher or sifu or sergeant or whatever you call it. They're very they're very aware of of what that means. And I imagine that you. I imagine that every single person watching this has somebody in their life. They go, you know what? That's how you should be doing. It. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And it may be an uncle or a brother, it might be a sergeant, it might be a, a sensei, might be a rabbi, might be an imam, might be a football coach, might be anybody. But you go, that's how it should be done. And then there's usually something about that people, per, person. But what I usually find is that person has integrity. That's what they have. They have integrity. Mm -hmm. There is no differentiator between what they say and what they, how they live their life. And often they may not even be aware that they're affecting people around them. But... One of the things that I was very, I started the dojo when I was very young, I was 35, I came, I came back out of Tokyo, I've been in Tokyo five years doing Aikido full time, very, very intensely. I was an Uchi Deshi there, and I came back and I started my dojo. I was, I was, I was actually, I was 32 years old, I was young. But what I was proud, we have, we have in the Oshinkan Aikido, which I do, we have the instructor's course, very, very famous course, the Sentrusei course in Tokyo. It's the, they call it the toughest martial arts course in the world, I don't think it is, but it's certainly the toughest Aikido course, it's pretty damn tough. You know, I was in Israeli Paris before that. And the Japan took what the Paris was took it to, to, to the nth level. But I was running my dojo in London, and seven of my students went over to Tokyo and finished the instructor's course. And other people saying, well, "Yeah, but my students can't do this, and my students won't do that." And I said, "My students are no different from anybody else, but they want to be like me." You know, they, that, that you know, I, I gave them an example of how you can do it. If you want to do it, do it. There's no reason that you shouldn't do it. It's not easy, but do it. And so I think what happens is, is you, you are, a, uh, in Japanese, it's called a mehon. And it is a living embodiment of virtue. Now, I would not claim to be a living embodiment of virtue. But what it is, is it says, it, it gives you an example of how you live your life. And I think that exemplar is, 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 what, is what we're looking for. But I think at the core of that, besides anything else, is integrity. I remember we door supervisors. We I, I used to door supervisor training back in the early nineties. One of the first door supervisor trainers in the UK trained over twelve thousand people through that program. But we had part of that we did um, first aid, and we had a guy, great guy, Andy Lynch. He's still around. So if Andy is, is listening to this, good luck to you, Andy. But he used to come down, great guy. But there was a time when he could not come down to us, and we we tried to find another instructor. And this guy came down, and we had you know we had fifteen hairy ass door supervisors and, and he was teaching them first aid and he said well lads when you go like this you know you don't and they said mate bollocks you know, stop 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 it that's that, we know that you're just that's bullshit you, what you're saying you're not like that and the next guy week a guy came in and he was like well and he was he was, he was meekish and quiet and and he was like saying well basically when you do first aid it's it's wonderful because it's it's not just at work if your child was sick or your child was choking you could save them these guys loved him. They just loved him. They loved, they were they were they were they literally carried him around in a bag with them because he had integrity. And I think um, you know they say if you can bluff integrity, you can you can achieve anything. And that's not how it works. But you've got to have integrity. And I think for all the people you spoke about and all the people who are achieving anything in their lives, I think integrity is is something central to that. And I'm just kind of switching gears just a little bit, yeah. I kind of want to get your your take on you know we were saying that we're on the downward right. So if you know, as a society, how do you see just, just in, you know, if we talk about just risk management, how do you see that 
evolving in the next five to 10 years? Nobody knows. I mean, this is this is my area of speciality. I did my doctorate in, in wicked problems and hyper-complex crisis environments. Um, um, and the answer is anybody who tells you what they think is going to be happening in 2017 is lying. I mean, look at ChatGPT. I mean, just look at that. That came out of absolutely nowhere. Bitcoin, everything is disruptive. And it's the speed of disruption, the speed of increasing disruption. Whatever problems we're facing, we're going to be facing in 2027 do not yet exist. AI, for example. And the solutions we will bring to the game do not exist. So the, for the first time in history, almost, we're using the word unprecedented. What unprecedented means is we do not know. We do not understand. There's no causality to it. The most people, when they use the word unprecedented, what they mean is I wasn't paying attention. That's not the same thing. Just like, you know, just like attack. There is no such thing as a sudden attack. There's no such thing as a sudden attack. You were not paying attention is what you mean. It's like when you're driving. If you're doing an advanced driving course, what they're really trying to teach you is two things. A, read the road ahead, road and B, be smooth. It's not fast or slow, it's smooth. But you've got to read the road ahead. Um, and I used to say close protection. If somebody could give you a superpower, the superpower is see seven seconds into the future. If you can see seven seconds in the future, you should be all right. And we can, you know, if you if, if the rest of the world is not switched on and you're switched on, you're seven seconds ahead of everybody else. So the truth of the matter is in terms of within the global context, what does that mean? Who the hell knows? But what I think is important more and more is be a good neighbor, be a good neighbor. I go back to the Marshall McLuhan thing from the 1970s. Um, think global, act local. And I think that is that is that is what you do. You you build your community around you, and you help people out, and you you make a contribution, and you smile at people. I smile at everybody, and people smile back. I, I love smiling. I love smiling at people in the street. I love I love in the shop saying somebody hi, how are you doing? And they go, oh, fine mate, all right. You know, and, and and you have that little interaction. Um, and I think I did that when I was a three year old. I mean, people saying I used to do that. I used to talk to everybody. So I, I haven't lost that. But I think that just that again, it loops around, it brings it all together. It's not separate from everything else we've spoken about. It's how how do you live in the world? Do you have integrity? Are you comfortable with yourself? Are, do you have self-consciousness? Are you learning? You know, don't be an asshole. I mean, basically, I mean, you know, how difficult, how difficult is that? Don't be an asshole. Don't hang around with assholes. There you are. That's 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 the towel, as far as I'm concerned. No, I had a funny feeling you were gonna say that when I asked the question. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that's what you said. But um, you know, with that noted, though, like, you know, just and I think what you said, you know, just getting to know your community, I think, is a very, very valuable thing to do, because if something does happen and it does impact you, especially if it's, you know, more regional or even further global, it's going to be those people that are going to be able to help each other out. Right. And I think that comes full circle back to self-reliance is, you know, being having that ability to be self-reliant, being having, having integrity, like you said, but because you feel that way and because you are that way, you have so much more to contribute to your community. It is, but, you know, Rodney, you know, let's go back. We are both privileged people. You know, I've got sure. money in the bank. I've got a nice house. You know, I've, I've, you know I've, I've been through tough periods. You know, everybody has, you know, those are tough years. But it's a hell of a lot easier to talk about this when things are going well, you know, and, and you've got a decent business and, you know, and, and those things are happening. You know, when 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 those things are when when you, you know, I'm sure you've been there, and I certainly have. When you're lying across, awake at night at uh, two o'clock in the morning because you don't have enough money, you can't pay the bills. Then it's very very difficult to talk about these things, you know. And 
And to a certain extent, the fact that we're talking about it is because we're privileged, because we have, you know, we have our, you know, our Maslow's hierarchy of needs has been taken care of. So, okay, with that said, though, and, and I agree, what would be your advice then to the person who is in that really bad place? I mean, what could they do? I mean, you know, because I guess that's probably one of the biggest worries for most people always, right? It's money. And that's always what it comes down to. That's where all your stress comes from. I mean, listen, I, I, I was running four supervisor courses and I had to send the team out on a walking drill because the bailiffs wanted to take the fucking chairs away. I mean, seriously, they wanted to take my desks away. And I had to send them out on a walking drill Make a deal with the bailiffs, pay them a bit of money, and keep them away for another week. I mean, you know, I've been there, I've done that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But you know, I, I brought up my family on. I brought my family up on Aikido for years, and for years it's a month-to-month existence. And there was years where I mean, we were within 24 hours of losing our house. You know, when when you got when you got three kids and no no backstop, that's scary. That's scary. Um, so what got me through that was two, was, was a number of things. First of all, the absolute belief that I was a warrior. That was it. I was a warrior. That was it. That was my identity. I'd done, I'd done the Paris. I've been in Yoshinkan Aikido. I ran a dojo. I'm a warrior. And if I'm supposed to be a warrior, how the hell can you let some bank clerk send you a letter upset you? I mean, seriously, if you're supposed to be a warrior, mate, that should not upset you. Deal it. Second thing is, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. If in doubt, breathe in, breathe out. Do your yoga, do your stretching, do your kata, do something. Have something that you can hold on to. Have something you can hold on to. And absolutely never lose belief the fact that this too shall pass. Okay, This is part of life. This is part of life. And it's tough. I know it's tough. But 20%, you know, 80% of your, your mind should be scared. And 20% of your mind should be observing and saying, yeah, it's okay to be scared. In, in six months or years, you will get through this, but you've got through everything else. Crack on. And what I did was I did something interesting. And what I did was I sat there and, and I did a lot of breathing. And I, at three o'clock in the morning, I did a huge amount of exercises and yoga and meditation because I was awake and I was, I was scared. But what I did was I would give blessings to my previous self. And I'm saying, look, I'm here. Remember that time you were worried about this or worried about that, or you're, you know, or you're breaking on a march or you're in training? Give yourself some energy. Give, stand here now, and from where you are now, give energy to that person. Does that work? Yeah, yes. You say, right, somebody's giving energy to you. That's, that's being passed on. You're passing on, but you're receiving. Feel it because it's real. And, of course, now I can see here and I can start, you know, it's that paradox of time travel when you meet yourself. But I am now able to give energy to that person that I had predicted I would at that time. And that became very, very powerful for me. It became very, very powerful for me. It was a, it was a solace in times when I was, I was, we were genuinely having some tough years, you know? Yeah, no, I've been there. I mean, you know, I taught martial arts for most of my life, so I can totally understand where you, where you're coming from and, you know, having two boys myself and that's always in the back of your mind. And um, the thing that got me through for sure is, um, the inner management. It's all the things you talked about, you know, having a mindfulness practice, knowing when to breathe, like you noted. Um, I like that whole idea of what we could, you know, what I could probably define as gratitude practices or at least self-gratitude practices. That's really good too. And those are very, very powerful. I think a lot of times people don't realize that, that how powerful those could actually be. But, I, you know, David, as we, we come to the end, 
what, you know, based on everything we've been talking about, what would be your parting words? You know, just thinking about what we've been talking about. Somebody's listening to this. They're going, okay, that's really great. But like, what would be the thing that you would want to leave them with? Believe. Just believe. Just believe. But be, be worthy of belief. Believe in yourself. Believe in the world. Um, hang around good people. Have a path. Have a path. I would say have a path. I would say that the two things that most people feel lack of in their life is A, genuinely belonging to a community, and B, having meaning in their lives. And if you have a path, then what you are doing is you are consciously saying, if I practice my guitar today, I'll be a better guitarist next week. If I practice my kata, if I practice my asana, then I am I am creating the person I wish to become. And in times of trouble, and the truth of the matter is everybody goes through that. You know, if you're going to live on this planet for 60, 70 years and have a family, you're going to, you know, that's part of the game, I'm afraid. Um, but having that 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 connectivity with who you are, that core belief in who you are um, through practice, I think, is what I would say. Um, and, and, I, and I appreciate that, you know, I'm, I'm talking from a place of privilege. Just, just even have a concept of that. You know, you, you look at you look at the wire. You know, this, this, I don't know if anybody's seen the wire in Baltimore, but man, that is powerful, powerful program. You know about the reality of life at the tough end. And what we're talking about has no meaning to those people. You know, it is absolute jungle survival mm. on a day to day basis. But I don't live in the jungle, so it'd be unfair of me to to talk about that. That's not my life. I can't I can't talk about that. I can only talk about what I do, what I've done. And hopefully it has some resonance in some way. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.